I'm Talib Vizram and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we'll hear from one company that's using technology to change how people are banking, find out why Pennsylvania may have high hopes for small business recovery, and get some insights on how to redesign Zoom for educators. This is your Fast Break. Throughout much of Africa, people have historically relied on cash to do their banking. Among some of the organizations and companies investing in digital payment systems is Makeba, a company that allows users to remotely transfer money. Here to tell us more about this is CEO Yamondu Alexander. Welcome to the show. Hello, how are you guys? Good, hanging in there. How about you? Very good, very good. Healthy. Great. Well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, Yamondu, tell us why you wanted to start Makeba. What was your motivation behind it? So after doing business for about 22 years in the telecom space in Africa, I have get to discover a data pattern of calls that lead me to know where is the diaspora. And obviously, it's known that the diaspora send an average of $200 a month to support their family. So we have countries like Capo Verde, Nigeria, that receive significant amount of remittance to help the family survive. So it's a social impact company because we want to make things better over there by providing uh, lending and different financial services. So starting with the telecom, finding exactly the pattern of calls, and that leads us to create a financial service company, which is Makeba. Sure. And can you kind of tell us exactly how it works. Um, I understand that it's a, essentially a remote transfer company, but, but how does it work? Sure, so the diaspora here, let's say you're from Capo Verde and you live in Boston, so you will download the Makeba application, you will go to what we call a KYC, which is pretty much your name, your state issue ID, social security number, so now you have an account, and you link your personal checking account, whatever it is, Bank of America, Chase, you move some money into your wallet, and while you are chatting with your family in Capo Verde that have also the Makeba application, you can send money to them instantly and they receive it in Eshkudos, the local currency in their country, and they can go to the store, they can go to the gas station and pay for things in their daily life. So is it fair to make a comparison to, to Venmo or an app like that? <laughs> so, yeah, so you have a mix of Western Union, Venmo, Square on the terminal, uh, which is the Makeba merchant application that have a point of sale for the stores and businesses in Capo Verde. So all of that combined, yes. Okay. So in order to use Makeba, people need a smartphone, which could be a barrier for entry. How do you plan to accommodate people who may not have access to one? Indeed. So in the US and Europe, we don't have that much problem. All the people have a smartphone. So in Africa, out of a population of 1.2 billion, we have already 500 million smartphones and it's growing at 38%. So there is a significant 
growth and most of the uh, carriers don't carry anymore uh, what we call feature phones which is the one that are not smartphone obviously and and so we do believe that uh, we are going to be okay but toward the end of the year the application makeba will be able also to function on what we call ussd therefore uh, available on feature phones so that people that are in remote area that don't necessarily have a smartphone can still transact using makeba i see so over half of Africa's economy is unbanked. What's the long-term impact Makeba can have on people's banking habits? So we're solving three problems. Number one problem, the cost of remittance is about 10% today. Wow. And it's uh, you have to go to a store, you give cash, you have to wait, your family have to go to a bank or to a point of cash and redraw the money. So we make it instantly, there is no middleman and the cost will be below 1%, so 10 times saving there. On the merchant, the last mile payment, the problem today, it's not a lot of businesses that accept digital payment and the few that do Visa, MasterCard, charges an average of 2 to 3%, sometimes all the way up to 5% as merchant fees. And with Makeba, this is 10 times cheaper, is a quarter of a point for the merchant. So that we keep the money in the ecosystem, then we use all this big data and using artificial intelligence, we create credit profile, right? And with those credit profile now, we are able to do lending and that's the aim of Makeba to be able to provide cheap lending so that businesses can grow, create more employment, and therefore address the problem of income inequality, which is the main task of Makeba is to fight against income inequality using financial inclusion. It's a, it's a very inspiring story. Um, so roughly 70% of Africa's 1.2 billion people are under the age of 30. Uh, are those young people part of your main target demographic? Uh, whom does Makeba benefit the most? I mean, the full spectrum. Uh, we have uh, very young people starting to work and they are uh, what we call millennial and they are way more friendly and trustworthy to use application for their finance, which we have the same kind of trend also in the US where we see the youth being completely uh, on digital financial application. Now we have also the olders. Uh, let me give you this example in Capo Verde. The old people that receive their pension when they retire, they used to go and to the post office and wait online to get their cash. Makeba was able to do a partnership with the post office so that we can digitalize. And now those people, during the time of COVID, didn't have to go uh, and be with other people and taking their life at risk to get their pension. Now with Makeba, we are able to pay them directly uh, every month on their Makeba wallet. So to answer your question, it's pretty much everybody that is in that need finance. And we are helping elder people, even in, in remote area in Africa, to receive the money sometime from the kids that is working in the main city and send the money now digitally instead of having a cousin drive the motorbike all the way with some cash. So you talked a little bit earlier about how you know, traditionally, uh, the cost of remittance is, is really high and, and you're substantially bringing it down. How are you able to do that? So today, the model of Western Union is mainly three middlemen. The guy that paid the rent in Boston for his store is coming with his employees, paying operating expense. He needs to make money on that transfer. 
then Western Union need to make money on that transfer. And the guy giving the cash out in the far end in Africa need also to make money. So those three people need to make money. Therefore, the average 10% cost of the three middlemen model. Makeba doesn't have any middlemen. It's our bank to our bank within our own ecosystem. It's instant and it will cost 10 times like less than 1%. Sure. Do, do you have any competitors in the space, you know, other than the big guns? Yes, definitely. There is some newcomers in, in Nigeria. There is some newcomer in, in Senegal, in Ivory Coast. And um, I hope that all of them are successful because they will shake things up. They will make us be better, more competitive. And there is still a lot of room to grow because the need is behind what we can deliver right now. Will you kind of be targeting different markets? Definitely. So right now we are up and running in Capo Verde in West Africa, and we are growing over 33% every month. And we have launched a campaign of fundraising with WeFunder in the US. And we are raising money right now so that we can implement Makeba in the US, Europe, Senegal, and Nigeria, where we have already done all the homework of due diligence, compliance to have bank partnership. So with the bank agreement that we have, we are ready to roll once we have the funds, to grow to an additional 42 countries, Europe, 28, America, and 14 in Africa, including the big giant Nigeria. So is that in order for people in the US and Europe to send money within the country or again, internationally? Internationally, local, domestic, peer-to-peer, and internationally. Obviously, the peer-to-peer market in the US is not too much our target because you well serve with today uh, the Zelle and PayPal of this world, but internationally sending the remittance to the continent into the ecosystem and then making sure that it stay in our ecosystem by having the merchant use our point of sale to receive payment from the Makeba user. How can Makeba help businesses advertise their activities? So one of the functionality that we are going to have is the Makeba marketplace where every merchant will be able to publish their point of sale and be present on the web to sell. It's a known model that Alibaba obviously have done with Alipay in China and we want to make sure we implement this all over Africa, giving an easy cost-effective solution for any business selling fruit in the corner in Dakar to be on the World Wide Web and somebody can buy from anywhere from them and get paid instantly. Uh, you know, you have a very diverse team behind you as well. How does that specifically help reach your goal to democratize banking? I mean, uh, I am very, very proud of the team we have. All the technology have been built by uh, West African people uh, in Senegal. We have a team from Benin, they are from Senegal, Congo, and the 24 great developer women and men working in Senegal uh, for the last three years, developing all the technology at a very high level of uh, compliance on security measures. So I'm very proud of them. And then internationally, yes, a lot of wonderful ladies that are smart, uh, that are capable, and that make the company better. And I'm glad to work with them. We have people that have skills over 28 years working uh, with Citibank in Africa. So yeah, we, we have a great team. I'm very proud of this dream team that I call. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's almost, you know, an issue of representation. You have people who are on the ground in those countries and, and who know those cultures 
It's, it's definitely very, very important. This is why even when we started to build the technology, I wanted the technology to be built by the people that are going to use it. That's amazing. Finally, you know, for our, for our listeners who may not know much about Cape Verde or, or haven't had the fortune to visit, can you tell us a little bit about the country? Um, anything that's, that stands out? Yeah, so beautiful Capo Verde, the land of music, artists, very good governance. Yeah, it's a country that uh, we have built over there a mobile network and we sold it in 2012. So we democratized the cell phone, I will say. The price completely got reduced, uh, internet access. The money is paired to the, to the euro. Uh, there is no corruption in, in, in Capo Verde, a very stable country, politically uh, very democrat and just good people. There is no natural resources. So the, the resource that they have, which is their art and also the, um, the tourism industry, they must have and they have very good governance so that they can be fiscally very responsible. And it's been a, a wonderful place for us to show the proof of concept because Capo Verde have 500,000 people living in the country of Capo Verde, but 500,000 Cap Verdean living in Massachusetts area. So it's the perfect use case for us of remittance. Interesting. Well, I hope to visit someday when, when we can travel again. Yes, I will go too. <laughs> well, um, Yamodu, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really interesting. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, I wish everybody the best, stay healthy and, and keep making this world better. Pennsylvania may be the first state in the union to legalize recreational marijuana solely to boost economic recovery from the pandemic. Think of it as a different kind of Green New Deal. Specifically, funds generated from the marijuana sales will help small businesses recover from the recession, according to Governor Tom Wolf. That's in addition to the billion or so dollars of CARES Act funding that the Democratic governor plans to use to prop up businesses. One other place the money might come from is to legalize recreational marijuana and use the income from the sale and the taxes that come from recreational marijuana to supplement these loans and carry the funding that CARES Act doesn't. What I'm proposing here is about a billion, ninety million dollars. Now let's get into the weeds. The idea is that the tax revenue from marijuana sales would go directly into grants for small businesses adversely affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Half of the proceeds would be earmarked for historically disadvantaged businesses, which are essentially companies majority owned and controlled by minority groups such as Black and Native Americans. Some of the revenue would also be funneled into restorative justice programs that focus on repairing the harm done to crime victims and communities as a result of marijuana criminalization. Governor Wolf also suggested using a state store system for marijuana purchases. This would be similar to how medical marijuana and some alcohol sales already function in Pennsylvania, where liquor stores are owned by the state. But the potential income would take a long time to gather and Wolf emphasized that it would merely create supplemental grants for suffering businesses. And although cannabis sales have spiked across the country during quarantine, critics say that the revenue it's created in other states is nowhere near enough to reach the level Pennsylvania is hoping for. When asked about arguments against the adult use of marijuana, 
The governor remained confident about his proposed plan. To me, I'm just saying to me, those are all the more reason why you'd want to actually legalize it and have it regulated rather than what it is now, which is completely unregulated uh, and, and out in the, in the open. Recreational marijuana is now legal in 11 states and is likely to be on the ballot in others this November. When schools closed in March, teachers had to create virtual classrooms. Now that school is back in session, educators across the country have weighed in on how they would redesign Zoom to work better for themselves and their students. Fast Company senior writer Liz Segrin has more. The thing is that class via computer is not inherently a bad idea. It's the way that the platform is set up that is flawed. So we talked to a range of teachers, ranging from grade school teachers to college professors, to ask them how they would redesign Zoom. Muting is incredibly important in a classroom because it both encourages participation and reduces distractions. The problem is that many young children don't really understand how to use their microphones and they may not have an adult on hand to mute for them. Recently, Zoom created a function that allows teachers to selectively unmute students. The problem is that students actually have to opt in for that function to work. So Zoom could create a strong visual cue that would allow even the youngest children using the platform to understand where the mute button is and how to use it. So for now, some teachers are showing their students pictures of what their microphone looks like when they're on and when they're off to help guide them to learn how to use the mute function. One of teachers' most frequent complaints is that it's really hard to replicate small group learning environments on Zoom. Right now, you can divide students into small breakout rooms, but there's no way for a teacher to see what's going on across all of the different rooms and give feedback all at once. A better design would be to give teachers an overview of what's happening in all of the breakout rooms and then allow them to chime in like a narrator at opportune moments to get students back on track or to ask questions. Zoom's chat feature is also a major pain point for many teachers because there's no way to have side conversations without inundating the main chat. Even navigating to the emojis takes longer than it needs to. Teachers are suggesting a moderating function in the chat and also creating tools that will allow you to distinguish between comments and questions. It would also be great to have more visual tools that would make it more obvious when a student is raising their hand to ask a question. Another problem with Zoom is that there's no way for teachers to virtually stand in front of a blackboard and show their students what they're trying to teach them. Right now, if a teacher shares their screen, they themselves disappear from it. So if there was an easy way for teachers to toggle between the documents that they're showing their students and themselves, that would go a long way to helping make learning better. Some teachers are calling for Zoom to release a special version of its product just for educators and students. As of right now, Zoom has no plans to release a product like that. That said, Zoom is releasing software updates that seem geared to teachers. For instance, 
A new function allows teachers to create a virtual seating chart. And another update allows teachers to spotlight students to mimic an in-class presentation. But these are largely iterative changes and Zoom could be seeding its sizable competitive advantage if it doesn't embrace its starring role in U.S. education. That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizran.